Have you ever wondered how we record the Metal Exchange? For the last three years, we've been using Zencaster for all things podcast related. And without Zencaster, the Metal Exchange wouldn't be brought to you each and every week. Now it's your turn. It's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. Log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. If you've thought about podcasting before and realized that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations, just like us. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code MetalExchange and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time for you to share your story. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris are back again as we complete our journey down uh, the Big Four road with one of the biggest thrash bands of all time and our recap of Slayer's Rain in Blood album going way back in time to 1986. But before we get there, my friend, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh can't complain really uh getting ready for the thanksgiving holiday and uh yeah i really not much else to uh to say at this point yeah we're getting close to our year end um year in review episode which is something i always look forward to i've been working on working on curating my list uh i i was listening to some stuff it's it's so funny to me there's stuff that i remember listening to but and obviously it was earlier this year, but I was like, Oh my God, that was this year. Like I, I, um, I was looking at my list and I, I just saw, uh, the, the last Riverside album, which I think came out in like January or February. And I was like, that was this year. Like, wow. I feel like that was so long ago that I listened to that. So, um, man, it's, it's just been uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff came out this year. So I am in the process of, uh, positioning things, so to speak. But uh, I, I will say, I do not have a clear cut number one album of the year as of as of right now, and and I I hope something clicks as far as like an obvious number one choice. But I have something of like a three or four way tie for my favorite albums of the year right now. Wow! And even still, so that's yeah. And, and I just I can't. It, they're so close that I don't, I can't find like I don't know. I, I like one is just not leading the pack in any sort of way and and i've listened to them all like a number of times so i don't know but they're all good i take it otherwise they wouldn't be in contention right so you yeah yeah it's just it's just usually i have one that just kind of is just a shade above everything else in this time that's just not the case so i guess we'll, we'll find out we still have i still have to listen to uh dgm eldritch and possibly therion which comes out like two weeks before the end of the year so um and and I guess whatever else, Glenn Harriston has his list coming out at the end of this week. It'll be out 
by the time this episode drops. So um, I'd be curious to see if maybe um, that provides any insight on something I might have missed. But uh, yeah, I'm having a hard time coming up with a, a number one. There were, uh, you know, I think we've talked about this in the past, but I thought the first six months of the year were just chock full of albums I really, really enjoyed. I think I've been a lot more selective the last five or four or five months. Not that there hasn't been stuff that's going to make my list. There's some good stuff that's come out, but I feel like it's fewer and further between than compared to the first half of the year where I felt like every week there was an album that I'm like, oh, this has got to go on the list or, oh, this is going to, you know, this is going to be a top 10 album or whatever the case may be. So there's been a bit of a lull, but at the same time, I think you often get that around this time of year because rather than put a album out in December, I think a lot of bands just choose to carry it over to the new year and kind of start the year fresh. So I think that a lot of lists kind of come together at this point because there's not that much new stuff coming out between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, I think that's definitely a a fair assessment. I just, there was just less stuff I cared about that came out in the second half. Like I just found myself like, you know, in the first half of the year, each week I would see a list and be like, man, there's like four or five or even six albums I need to hear. And then like, in the second half, I was like, maybe one or two. Like, so, I mean, it makes it easier because the more those albums pile up, the harder it is to, to order them. So I, I feel like I'm in good shape. I might actually have this damn thing in order, like on time this year. I won't have to delay it until late January. So no promises, but uh, we're, we're, we're headed in a positive direction. But um, speaking of, of albums that uh, are, are, you know, going to come out earlier in the next year, uh, Amaranth's new album, The Catalyst, is going to be coming out in January, and uh, they just released a new single, Outer Dimensions, and uh, it, I think this is the best single of the songs that are going to appear on this album that have come out so far, but I mean, it pretty much is what you uh, want to hear from, from, from this band, and uh, I still... It's still weird to me hearing Nils Mullen's vocals on an Amaranth record after hearing him in Dynasty for so long. And it's not so much that he isn't Jake E. It's just weird because I, when I hear him, I think of Dynasty. And so it, it's sometimes if I'm not paying attention, I could, I almost forget which band I'm listening to. So it's, it's a little, it's still a little weird for me, but um, I, the music is still, um, you know, just that, that kind of catchy core like metal core-esque type you know death metal meets more like death metal meets power metal meets you know uh you know just core meets uh <laughs> it's a lot of things like the amaranth's always been one of the harder bands to uh assign a genre to in my opinion but um i i, I uh i always look forward to hearing what they have to to do so this is uh pretty good but other than that um that was pretty much it for me how about you another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, I'm going to talk about three things I heard this week, all of which kind of grabbed my ear. But I, I just want to say one thing about Amaranth. I, I agree with you. Like, 
as much as I love his vocals and as much as I love some of that stuff he's done with Dynasty, I still find it a little jarring when I hear him sing cleans. And I think the reason is because Jake Jake's voice was so I don't want to say polished, but it had a very almost poppy quality to it, which I thought lent itself really well compared to the growls, which they seem to have gone through about eight different people that do growls in the band. But then, and obviously Elise's um, vocals as well. I just thought the three complemented each other so well. I have not really been into their material as much as of late. And to be honest with you, I think I still think their first album was my favorite and it's kind of gone downhill in many ways from there. But because that album was so good, I, I always give them a shot. And I, not to say I didn't like subsequent material. I just never thought it quite hit that first album's peak. Uh, but there's something just missing for me. But then other people love it and think he was a great addition. So I, I, I might be in the minority there. Yeah, well, I think also it's just, you know, you we both listened to Dynasty before Nils joined Amaranth. And we both listened to Amaranth from the get-go. So we were used to hearing them with Jake. So... So it it's tough. He's a good. It's a good choice. Um, I get why they chose him. It's just uh, It's just weird. I, I, um, I, that's just pretty much my two cents on that. Like I just, re- I think Nils has a really unique voice, and so I automatically assign that in my mind to Dynasty and and Jake. I just assign in my mind to Amaranth. So it's just that kind of the way that it is. And yet they've had. I don't know how many death metal vocalists and I haven't been able to tell the difference between any. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, a couple of, a few things I heard this week that I just definitely think are worth mentioning. Uh, the first album was really something that was a bit of a surprise to me in that I only found out about it this week. It must have just escaped me when they announced uh, this band earlier this year. And the band is Temek. It features Diego Tejeda, formerly of uh, Haken and uh, Eric Gillette on guitars from the Neil Morse band, uh, two, two other acts that I obviously love. And you put this together and you really have this great prog metal debut. There were certain tracks on this that didn't grab me, but then there were other ones that I'm like, wow, this has so much potential. I hope this project kind of stays together because I just found this to be a thoroughly enjoyable listen and one of the better prog albums that I've heard in the last few months. So really cool stuff. The album is called Terror Management Theory. It came out uh, last week on November 17th. So definitely worth checking that out. Uh, And then moving over to Austin, Texas, a band called Hinayana, which is really... If you listen to this band, you would have no idea they're from the United States. They do like this blend of melodic death metal and doom metal with, you know, some harsh vocals that really just kind of hit the hit the mark, but they they have a really like Finnish feel to it or something that you'd hear from like Norway or or Sweden or something like that. Really really good band. Uh, I love their last album, but their their new one is is Quite frankly, I think just as good, if not better. Uh, and they're on Napalm Records, so they are definitely getting some recognition. But the, the new album is called Shatter and Fall. Really, really good stuff. It clocks in at just under about 50 minutes. I'll, I'll try to post a track of theirs this week. Cool stuff. And then lastly, a band out of Florence, uh, sorry, Bologna, Italy called Miara, another melodic death metal band that I kind of just Went, took a flyer on and I thought it was really, really good stuff. Melodic death metal, but some of that core element that you kind of mentioned with Amaranth kind of blended in um, a little more accessible, I think, than than the Himayana stuff, but at the same time, definitely worth a listen. So three new things, all of which are worth checking out. 
As I said, I'll post some tracks this week. And uh, a lot of news this week, which we'll get to at the very end. But I want to just take the opportunity to give a thanks and a shout out to all of our Patreon members. We really appreciate your support. We would consider everyone listening uh, to give us a, a like and a follow on social media. Obviously, the links can be found down below, but also consider joining the Patreon. It really does help the show uh, and, and go towards um, you know a lot of our efforts. So thank you to all that have already subscribed. To those that haven't, Give it a give it a thought. That's uh that's all I'll say about that for now. And obviously, uh, next week is the first Monday of the month, which is Request Week at the Metal Exchange. And uh, without giving too much away, I'll just say it's an album that's been requested multiple times by by a lot of people. So uh, something I'm looking forward to, and we'll we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Uh, yes, all those things. <laughs> and that brings us to the matter at hand. We have done Metallica. We have done Megadeth. We've covered Anthrax, and now we bring on the Mighty Slayer. Um, before we get into Rain and Blood and, and the, the fascinating backstory with this album, is this your first real exposure to the band? I mean, I know you know a track or two, but like, have you ever really given this band the thorough listen, or is this kind of you know the first time for you? Yeah, it's definitely the first time I've like listened to a, a full album start to finish. So. Yeah, I knew I knew the last song "Raining Blood" fairly well from my Guitar Hero uh, heyday, and that was a song that drove me bananas, along with uh, "Dragon Forces Through the Fire and Flames," two incredibly difficult songs. Uh, also, um, one by Metallica, which like was crazy easy, and then all of a sudden it got to the heavy part, and you would uh, just get like booted right out of the song. Like it was. <laughs> So the, all those metal songs were always the, the toughest ones to play in Guitar Hero. And, and Raining Blood was one where it was just, it was hard right off the bat. Like, it just started out, like, you were, you had the, the you know, few seconds of reprieve where you just heard, like, the, uh, the thunder and, and the rain or whatever. And you're like, it was the calm before the storm, so to speak, before you had to just start moving faster than I think your hands are, are capable, or at least mine were. So uh, that was a song I oftentimes got booted out of before even the first minute of the song could even play. It's so, like, yes, that was that's my experience. For, for most people, it was like Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, where you just didn't even last the first 90 seconds because it was like one hit and you were down. This was the uh, functional equivalent of that for Guitar Hero. I remember it fondly, and by fondly, I think I wanted to throw my guitar at the TV because it was so frustrating. But I remember it. Yeah, so. well, it's a good it's a good uh, comparison because a lot of people consider Mike Tyson's Punch Out to be like one of the first rhythm games. That it's actually more of a rhythm game than it is a boxing game because it really is like learning the patterns and things of that nature. And they, that's probably why the game is so fondly remembered and and why it still holds up. You know, all these years later, oddly enough, the uh, that the game came out what a year after uh, this this album, I believe. I think that's right. If not, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, but yeah, Slayer's Rain and Blood. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, this album comes out October seventh of nineteen eighty six, and I have listened to this album in the past. So it's not like this was new to me by any means. I've listened to this album countless times, um, but at the same time. I didn't really know the backstory of this album, which is to me just absolutely fascinating. This is the band's third release. What I had no idea was that it came out on Def Jam Recordings. And for anybody that knows anything about music, this is a label that, quite frankly, couldn't be any more different than 
when I when I think Def Jam, I don't think thrash metal. So like it's fascinating to me, but Def Jam recordings is, is, you know, obviously with kind of like the first collaboration the band would do with Rick Rubin and, and, and the way they found themselves on Russell Simmons's label was interesting. They had been on, on metal blade, um, you know, with their first two releases and they obviously did very, very well. And I think Brian Slagle, who was managing in them at the time really wanted them to kind of just take off after those first two releases. And, for whatever reason, they had contacted Def Jam about possibly releasing the album on there, which was obviously very different from what they had been doing at the time. Um, but nonetheless, the band really wanted to kind of, I'm sorry, the label wanted to kind of push them to the moon with this, you know, this, this different, you know, album for, for the label. And, and sure enough, after much trepidation, they decided to take the plunge. And I, I mean, I guess it really did work for them because, when it was all said and done, it came out on Def Jam and it really just kind of took this band to a whole nother level and gave them notoriety, you know, far beyond what they had achieved with those first two albums. So mission accomplished. I just find that to be such a fascinating story because it would be like Frontiers, you know, today with all the melodic hard rock releases they they, they have been putting out taking on like a Dr. Dre protege and being like putting here, put it, put out, putting an album out like that. It's just so outside their comfort zone. Uh, but kudos to, to everyone for keeping an open mind and obviously Rick Rubin for, for kind of making this happen because this was, um, you know, nothing like this had been done up to this point. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I, I also kind of, uh, delved into the background. I was curious, uh, as well. And, and, um, that was really kind of a fascinating story um, and a really interesting thing that like that this band would be picked up by a hip hop label and, and, uh, and see their biggest success um, from that, uh, you know, so that, that was interesting. Um, how familiar were you with their previous material or um, cause I, I'm going to need you to kind of be the, uh, the the barometer as to like what where this compares in the the Slayer verse, uh, you know, compared to past and future releases. So it's funny you mentioned that. And let me just give a little bit of backstory as to my familiarity with the band, and I'll kind of have everything come full circle. For the longest time, I just ignored this band, and I remember the first exposure I ever had to to, to hearing them was actually seeing them live. They had done a tour with Anthrax and Megadeth. It wasn't the big four. Metallica wasn't there, but they did an arena tour and they played the Nassau Coliseum. And at the time, um, Megadeth was playing. They didn't, call it, they didn't call it the bottom three tour. No, no. That would have been. That would have actually been pretty funny. <laughs> but um, the, at the time, Megadeth was playing all of Rust and Peace on tour. So I wasn't missing the, the show. And it was actually the first time and only time that I got to see Joey Belladonna and Anthrax live. And it actually made me into a much bigger Anthrax fan, to be honest with you. And I know our opinions differ on that band. But I also think that, by and large, I just think I'm more of a thrash fan than you are. And I'm, that's not an insult. It's just a fact, right? I, I, I have, I think, really tried to make a point to listen to a lot of thrash releases just because I find them to be interesting and entertaining in many ways, but also because I feel like um, – it's a genre when one when somebody does it well, it can be very enjoyable. The problem is I think there's a lot of trash in the genre. No no pun intended, trash in the thrash, but 
here we are. Um, so I, that, when I saw Slayer live, I'm like, this is something, this is not what I expected. I just had a very different connotation in my head. So I wound up, um, checking out some of their stuff. And, and this was an album that I almost, I went back to a lot. I don't know the first two albums nearly as well. I know this album, uh, very, very well because of the, um, you know, the, just because of the iconic nature of the album, and we'll get to that. But then when you get to their following releases like South of Heaven and Seasons of the Abyss, really those first five albums, um, that's where I kind of spent my time. I, I didn't listen to much after that because I just felt like it was a little bit more of the same. And I think that they kind of hit their, hit their mark on those first, you know, those, those middle three albums, starting with this, this album in 1986. And then South of Heaven, two years later, Seasons coming out in 1990. But yeah, that that was kind of my exposure to the band. And it, it's funny because I remember our friend Steve in high school being a big Slayer fan when we were listening to Dream Theater and Metallica and Sabotage and all that stuff. And he was listening to Slayer at the time. And it was kind of a running joke that he was like the Slayer fan or whatever. But I never gave them the time of day. It really took another decade or so before I would um, give them a listen. It, that's interesting. Um, yeah, like, I'm probably going to, I mean, mind you, we recorded our Anthrax Among the Living episode two and a half years ago, but m I'm probably going to sound <laughs> fairly similar, my opinions of this album, as I was to that album, because where Thrash loses me is when it doesn't have... Uh, like melodies and a melodic nature to it. It's, there's a reason why I really enjoy Metallica and I really enjoy Megadeth. And then, and again, my opinion of Anthrax is, is really being based on one album um, and, and the song Madhouse, which I, which I think is better than anything that I heard on among the living personally. Um, because I think that it, it was more of a song. It was more of a tune. Like it had a, it had a melody to it. And so that's why it's weird to me that I could give a Megadeth album a nine or a Metallica album a nine. And then like when it comes to Slayer and Anthrax, it's just kind of like, it just misses the mark for me. And I don't think that it's bad. It just, um, I don't know. It's, it's just, that's just the way I am. Like I, I just, I think thrash works really well for me when there's a melody to it. And, and there's, you know, just some semblance of, I don't know, like just a song structure. Whereas I feel like this is almost just, um, just uh, like the, the actual <laughs> thrashiness for the sake of thrashiness. Like the, dr the drums are thrashy. The guitars are thrashy. The vocals, everything is thrashy. This is, I think even, um, compared to the anthrax album and you could correct me if i'm wrong it's been a while but i feel like these are like real in and out like and I, which i appreciate like these are fast at like fast songs they all that like raining blood is like the by far the longest one of the longest tracks at, at four minutes most of these tracks are under three minutes because i think it's like you don't really need to overstay your welcome on um a lot of this stuff but like that's just me like i just never really got into like this i guess this is like the core version of what thrash metal is and like it's why i don't love the like you know kill them all by metallica like i think it's a solid album but i like when in on ride the lightning and and master of puppets that they started to develop more of a melodic nature um 
you know, same with uh, same with Megadeth's like you know very first release. I feel like with Peace Cells, they started to pick up a little bit more with with melodies and stuff like that. Um, so that that's more what I'm drawn to when it comes to the, the thrash style. And so like this is just while while I I would I wouldn't say that I hate this like or that it sucks. It's just not really my genre of of choice um but i definitely recognize its you know importance and and its place um it's just uh it's not my thing i i listened to it like w- right before we started recording one more time just to see if like i put my, my headphones in and i was like i'm really gonna try to just ingest this and it's like nine tracks where i don't even know like when one track started and the next one ended. Like it was, it, th- that's just how it was for me. So no, I get um, that. And I think the difference is, and maybe this is why I look forward to doing like a creator episode with you, because I think that there are other bands that have that more traditional song structure that you, I think gravitate towards verse, chorus, verse, chorus, some crazy solos, maybe a bridge and then chorus, end of the song but still in the thrashy style this album does not have that this is just a 29 minute onslaught on the senses and i can understand why it's abrasive to some people when you're not used to that kind of a style and to be honest with you this is something that i have to be in the mood for i'll tell you a quick story before we kind of get into the album proper This week, I was at the supermarket over the weekend, and I was doing some shopping, and I had my earbuds in, and I was playing the album just to give it another listen. I listened to it a bunch this week. It's an easy listen. It's only 29 minutes, like I said, 28 and change. The supermarket was packed. People were doing Thanksgiving shopping. There were thousands of people here. Every aisle was jam-packed, and I was getting this agita as I was walking around this crowded supermarket with this album on, and I almost like was getting – like. The, 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 the stress that was building up in me between what I was seeing and, and what I was hearing in my ears was like sensory overload for me. And then there were other times this, and I, and to be honest, when I listened to it in the store, I freaking hated the album and I know the album, but I just hated it. It was not a pleasurable experience. But then there were other times this week where I was sitting on the train coming home from work after a long day and I just kind of wanted to veg out. And like I put it on, I'm like, this is freaking gold for what it is. I have to be in the right mood to digest this album. There are times where I see its brilliance and there are times where I literally can't listen to it. And that was kind of the experience I had this week. It was all a matter of what kind of a mood I'm in. I go back to Awake last week. I can put on Awake at any time and I could listen to that album. It's literally, it doesn't matter my mood. I can enjoy that album. This I have to be in the right mood for it. And when I am, it really does hit the mark, but um, not while you're supermarket shopping during Thanksgiving week. I guess that's the moment. No, I, if I, if that was me, I would have had a psychotic meltdown <laughs> in the middle of the, in the middle of the canned food section. <laughs> yeah. So you were trying to get yams and all of a sudden you had to take your earbuds out. I get it. I, I do. Um, but that's a little, a little backdrop as to uh, what my week was like. But yeah, this is, this is the, Classic Slayer lineup: Tyler Mariah on both on bass and vocals, Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman uh, on guitars, and Dave Lombardo on drums. And it's kind of remarkable how four guys could create this wall of sound. Um, and I gotta be honest, they were so smart not to make this into a thirty-eight minute or a forty-two minute release because this album 
does not have to be that long and quite frankly is not something that you're going to want to listen to for an hour and a half or at least me. Other people may disagree, but I think the length actually makes it a very palatable listen. That's interesting because that was actually a discussion that was made when the album was being created when it's it, it, the the story as I understood it was that like they finished recording it and they're like yeah this does we have 30 minutes of material here like should we make more and they were just like you know what like this is the kind of band we are it's like i I love the word onslaught you used is really perfect it it really is just like a like no song really overstays its welcome because it's just not nearly long enough in order to do so Um, yeah so i give credit for that it was like recognizing that is good if this album was 48 minutes i i mean i don't know if i could do it for 48 minutes but for i would have i would have driven down to your house and strangled (laughs) you if this was any longer than 29 minutes and change yeah but at the same time it's like it's funny i was listening to a change of seasons earlier today in advance of our bonus episode for our patreon folks that'll come out uh in the near future and as I'm listening to that track, which is 23 minutes, I'm like, this is basically rain and blood. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's wild. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever made that comparison before. But... I'm pretty sure I'm the first, but uh, you, you heard it here first. It is It is very, like, it's funny because the playlist that I have for our podcast, um, you know, it goes from bringing blood into a change of season and it's and it's the weirdest oh, segue God. ever like it just all of a sudden it goes from the like that end of raining blood to like that opening guitar riff of a change of seasons and i'm like jesus christ i really just took a a, a swerve into uh prog traffic out of the uh the thrash highway my god the only thing missing on the back end of that eight a change of seasons ep is their cover of rain and blood which would have been pretty hysterical because i think they did a napalm death cover at that show so they weren't too yeah, far off yeah they, they they no they had the singer from napalm death oh, uh, do, Barney a, Greenway do a cover of damage incorporated which to this day is one of the best things <laughs> i've ever heard for all the wrong reasons but um <laughs> the here's the here's the factoid that i found out that i was that blew my mind out of everything i learned about this album Wait, let me guess is it the fact that Tori Amos covers this? Yes, exactly. The fact that Tori Amos did a cover of the song Raining Blood, I need to hear this. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you want to talk about a Sunday select. I, I don't know that there can be anything better. I've never heard that cover, but when I found that out as well, I almost fell out of my chair. I mean, I think of all the bands that have covered Tori Amos, and she's like, you know what? Here's an idea. I'm going to cover Slayer. And she did. And credit to her because uh, the look she must have gotten in that recording studio must have been incredible. Well, th- there was an interview with Kerry King and, and his words were, it took me a minute and a half to find a spot in the song where I knew where she was. It's so weird. If she had never told us, we would have never known. <laughs> you could have played it for us and we'd have been like, what's that? Like a minute <laughs> and a half through, I heard a line and was like, I know where she's at. So <laughs> That's great. I love that. Um Let's uh, let's get into it. We uh, we start with uh, you know the classic "Angel of Death," which I think is one of the two like most popular tracks uh, on the album. This is not an album where there's a slow intro. We get right into it, and that opening riff of this track is ridiculous. And and bands were not playing this fast at this time. Even bands like Venom, which were like a precursor to a lot of the black metal that would come out later. This this was like. I don't know, music on steroids in 1986. Um, 
And, and, and to be honest, that first scream that Arias sings is just like, strap in. You can see what this is going to be. Um, had it not been for the great drumming of, of the mighty Lombard- Dave Lombardo, I think this whole thing would have been an absolute clusterfuck. But somehow he holds the thing <laughs> together. But like he really does. But what you notice immediately on this track and most other tracks is that there's really – no distinction between the verses and the chorus. It's just one just gigantic wall of sound. And thankfully, I think they were smart enough in many spots to slow it down just a bit and then pick up the speed again. Because if it had just been the same metronome pace throughout the whole thing, I think that that would have been a disaster. But there's just enough contrast in each of these songs where you can kind of take a breath and then go right back into it. And and I, I think that, you know, this is no different. Um, the first instrumental section here, for example, provides some real contrast and it's almost mid paced, like the, like the verse that follows it. And then all of a sudden, um, it, it just continues with these crazy solos in the second instrumental section. Um, I think this is arguably, arguably one of the most accessible tracks on the album. And it's interesting because it's actually the longest track on the album and it's so you know i guess it's nearly five minutes in length if i'm not mistaken i think it comes in around 450 or so um what are your thoughts on this jeff hanneman um special here and and you know rest in peace jeff hanneman he, he passed away about a decade ago any thoughts on this on this uh opening track uh it's very intense um it, the i i mean the drumming really is insane like you listen to this and you're like is the guitar just going that fast and the drummer's just desperately trying to keep up or is it the other way around? <laughs> That's a great um, point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's so blisteringly fast. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a solid song. The, the vocal stylings in general on this whole album almost give me like a, like a, like a hardcore punk kind of vibe more so than like a metal vocalist. It's really so different like compared to like a, a Dave Mustaine or a James Hetfield. Um, I, 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 it, it almost felt like thrash metal, but with like a punk, like a heavy punk rock vocalist in, in ways. Um, not, not that first scream. I'll say that that was very metal, but uh, <laughs> like just the way that it's kind of like that really, fa- I mean the, it, it's like this fast talking kind of vocal, uh, which it has to be to keep up with the, the rest of the song that's going on. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's busy. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's not quite as, uh, short as most of the other songs, but, um, you know, uh, in general, like my opinion of this song kind of mirrors my opinion of the rest of the album. It all kind of blends together to me, but I don't think anything really, stands out or is like particularly worse than than anything else like it's just this like for me just this like 30 minute like straight opinion for me like i'm just i'm on a level the whole way through i get it i get it but i'll 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 just as we kind of move along here i'll just make some some anecdotal points we get to piece by piece the second track i think your your um assessment of the vocal stylings of one tom Araya are correct but i don't hear the punk so much he, on, on this track especially and some other ones as well it's almost like rapping is a vocal approach because it's just so fast so um, I, I don't know. It's it's almost like um, 
again, like it just there's like a rap element to it. And again, maybe that's because of the the the, the Def Jam connection or what. But again, he, he you can't sing this at a normal speed because the music would just take you away from from the the vocal stylings. You have to be able to keep up. Um, and and this is another example of it. I mean, you're again, you're headbanging your ass off to that opening riff, and somehow it gets even faster during the verses, which is crazy. Um, you, you can see why, though. I think they're considered one of the big four thrash bands because this is just um, wild stuff for nearly forty years ago. But what was kind of interesting is I thought the production was really good for an album that came out so long ago. Um, my, my gripe with a track like this is that it's like verse, 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 and you're kind of waiting for that payoff that never really comes. So if you're a fan of the big chorus, you're not getting it on this track. Not that I didn't like it. It's just an observation more than anything else. Yeah. And that, that kind of is endemic of what doesn't like click with me in general is that there's, to me, like there's there's nothing, to, there's no hook. Like it, it's just it's just this, you know, bam, 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 over. Like you know, it, it's uh, well, and, and it again, was smart like, enough it, not to make it a seven minute track. It's like you're yeah, in, you're exactly. in, you're out, like, on to the next. But, but that you know, again, like that's just my subjective opinion. Like I understand that there like are people that enjoy this style, and that and, and if that's the style you enjoy, I can't imagine that many other bands do it better than this um it's you know just not really and again like i can appreciate it and i don't dislike it like there were when i was listening to this like my foot was tapping (laughs) like fast like like almost like you know um just like i was trying to work and i'm like like oh my god like um so like i i i I do i want to just make this very clear that I did not dislike this. Um, it's just like very middle of the road for me. Um, but like, I, I understand it. Like, it's just to me, like I didn't really find that other than rain and blood. And maybe that's only because I knew it already. Like, I didn't really find that any of the tracks stood out. Like they all kind of sounded the same to me. Yeah. I I totally get that. And it's just because for the most part, I think the speed is on par with each other and there is no, you know, sing along chorus or anything like that. A perfect example is um, the third track, Necrophobic. This is somehow even a tad faster, maybe than the first two. So, in that sense, it stands out. But what's faster than like a hundred miles an hour, like a hundred and two miles an hour? I mean, it's not like it's that discernible. But for me, like the drums are what really pop on a track like this. But again, you have to be in a mood for it. I was enjoying the hell out of it today. I was not when I was trying to get my Thanksgiving dinner in order. So like I, I, I can I can see it, but then all of a sudden, like midway through this track, it slows down a bit. Again, it's not slowing down to candle mass and it's not slowing down to a power ballad, but it slows down enough that you hear the contrast. And some of the guitar solos on a song like this are just absolutely bananas. And in a way, they almost help the listener take a breath because it's just it's just, you know, it's just, it's just so much for the senses. And then again, another beautiful high note at the end of this track, which is what a way to end it. It's, it's, this is actually one of the tracks I like the most on the album, I think, because of, of the reasons I just stated. Yeah. I think I actually like the instrumental like parts better just because I feel like it's a little, it, it takes a one layer of the chaos away and makes it a little bit more yeah. easier to, to digest. Um, 
and that's you know part of it too is that like I don't really love the 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 just the the this just like fast almost like you said almost rappy kind of vocal it's just not my favorite thing it's almost like sensory overload but uh with everything else going on but um yeah i mean i I don't disagree with um your you know uh review of these you know songs thus far i have a and maybe it may i was gonna say i have a feeling but then i guess i'm not 100 percent sure that i have the feeling but i'll kind of say it this way the next track i think might be a track that you liked more than some, if you could see why it was different. So I'll, I'll say it this way. In many ways, this track reminds me of Master of Puppets, but on steroids. And, and I say that because the riffs are just a tad slower. And it kind of reminds me of the stuff that was otherwise coming out around the same time. I also hear a bunch of early Megadeth in this song. So I thought that there was a chance that something like this could be um, accessible to, to you in many ways. Again, I, I don't think the chorus was very distinguishable from the verses, so I have to knock it for that. But the bridge is really awesome, and it almost has like this march-like quality to it. And then at the end, it goes off the rails, but in a good way, it almost slows down a lot. Um, I, I have a feeling that this might be one of the tracks you like the best if you can to kind of distinguish it from some of the others. Yeah, I can't. Okay. That's the problem. Fair like- enough. Yeah, I mean it's it's fine for all the reasons that you said, but like it, to me, it really didn't. It I didn't really feel like there was that much different from what you know preceded it. Okay, that I, and that's fair. Um, I, I just thought there might be a chance there. Um, no, I, I under I understand your um, your mindset there, and I definitely agree with you know the your um, analysis uh, musically. It's just like, to me, I think once the, those vocals come in, it's like the vocals are, are kind of one note for me, other than like your, your high pitched screams here and there, like it, it, it's all kind of the same. And that, that's kind of part of, I think, I think if it was more of a vocal style that I enjoyed, I think this would be a bet, like a more uh, positive experience for me, but um, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And so we get to this end of side A with uh, Jesus Saves, which contrary to popular belief, not a sabotage cover. I know this is shocking to, to most of our listeners. Or really, it should be more, you know, that sabotage wasn't covering Ant or Slayer. I mean. Since this, since this came out five years ago. Yeah, no, I, 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 that, is, that is a fair point. Um, <laughs> this actually is a track I really liked and and I'm actually going to make it my song of the week and I'll, I'll kind of get into my reasons why but uh let's give Jesus saves a listen and then we'll uh we'll come back and I'll we'll, we'll get into it a bit
So that's a taste of of Jesus Saves. And I, I think the reason why this track really jumped out to me was because at the start, it does start a little bit slower. And then when I think that kind of really stands out on this album. But then as it kind of chugs along, right before the vocals come in, the speed just picks up. And it's almost like the, the drop on a roller coaster where you're like chugging along, chugging along. And then, oh boy, you, you get to that drop and now you're off to the races. It is incredible to me that Tom Araya can sing along to songs like this. I know we talked about this in some of the prior tracks, but it really stands out to me here. What I also liked about this particular track is not just the solos, but I thought the low end between the drumming and the bass, which I thought really popped on this track, really helped move this thing along. And for some reason, I, I just, even though I don't particularly love the lyrical content, um, I, I do, I did find it to be a really interesting track that I kind of looked forward to midway through the album. And it kind of broke it, broke up both sides for me. Very nice. Yeah. It's a, I, I am glad that you have a little bit more, uh, appreciation for this because I feel like if it was just me talking about this for an hour, it would be a very, a very, uh, unpleasant listening experience <laughs> for the, for anybody listening. So do you have any, so, yeah, I mean, I, and the answer might be no, but as we get to criminally insane, which is the start of, of, of the, the B side on this album, do you have any thoughts? I mean, like, I, I think that it almost lulls the listener into this false sense of security with that slow drum beat at the start, because you just know this is not going to continue. Oh, I thought we were, I thought we were getting our first love song of the album. Yeah, no, um, no, no love songs here. Um, no arena pop ballads, even though it was 86. Um, <laughs> Poison was doing something completely different on the other side of California at this point. But um, this, this one also just after the first verse, which is kind of slow, it just starts to pick up, pace so fast and kind of go off the rails here as well um not not my favorite track i think because if for no other reason other than like the dueling guitar solos i just found the 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 verses to be kind of mundane on this to be honest with you i do think that the heavy 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 end to this track is something to behold though but overall it, it misses the mark for me just a bit this would be a a a high tempo song for most bands this is a mid-tempo song for slayer yeah and i think that's a good point i mean it's like dragon force is, is the power metal right like their slower songs are probably faster than you know the fastest hammerfall song but at the same time yeah. it, it also it also comes in even slower than like as the song would eventually pick up like it, it starts off almost unassumingly so um, with just like a kind of a slower guitar riff and and the the a kind of a slower drum fill um, before it, it just starts to like get back to its its uh, you know signature chug. Um, so yeah, I, I guess to me this one does feel a bit different than um, some of the other tracks we've heard so far, but not enough to be your song of the week. Uh no. Okay. All right. Well, I have a feeling it's not um I have a feeling it's not reborn either. This one starts off almost like an anthrax feel to it, but then it really gets into that more of an Exodus or a creator sound who are doing the faster thrash at that point. Um this song was a bit nondescript to me. I thought it was good, solid pacing, but kind of standard fare for what the album is, and I thought it was well placed in the middle of the the back of the album. Um, but at the same time, nothing particularly new on here, and and there's a lot better stuff to come, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I can't really disagree with with any of that. Um, it's just uh, it's probably not one of my m- more favorite songs on this album. I guess it's like in the low middle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but listen, and I get it because for me, I think the next three tracks all have distinguishing features, which make them really, really good. Um, Epidemic, for example, it has a similar feel to to Reborn. It's a tad slower, and I just mean like a tad slower. But at the same time, um, the chorus reminds me very much of the song "Master of Puppets," just sped up, and I thought that that was really, really cool. Um, I don't know. I don't think it was intentional. I just think it happened to be that they were in the same vein on the, on these two songs that same year. Um, and, and when I say similar, I really mean in terms of like the way the vocal phrasing is and the way that's presented, but it's um, the bridge here is slower, more deliberate, still very, very heavy. And I actually like this song quite a bit. I definitely thought of master of puppets when I heard this song, this was like the one song that actually like made me feel like I was listening to another one of the, the thrash bands like it just the i think yeah the, the the vocal part for sure um reminds me of the uh i guess the bridge before the chorus of master of puppets probably would be the the part that i'm thinking of um and and i also think that like uh, from a just the tempo of the song is almost like exactly the same so i got that same vibe but then like as the song continues it kind of goes in its own direction and and then you know towards the end it, it, like like we said you know you've said earlier like it, it it kind of slows down a little bit actually and um man, I, I i do not like the the high notes like i feel like it sounds like he's really struggling really <laughs> interesting like i mean i don't know it, it might just be like not my favorite style of vocals but like it, it just it, it's almost like nails on a chalkboard for me it's definitely unique and 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 nobody was really doing this you know with, with that and, and for the most part he really doesn't even stay in that register that's why they're it, it may be a little jarring because it's not done a lot it's only done in, in spots yeah um and it's just so different from the the regular you know delivery. usual vocals that you're hearing throughout you know 95 percent of the, the album I think that's I think that's fair. Um, we get to the the penultimate track, post mortem. This was another one that was nearly my my track of the week, and I say that because I love the riff at the beginning. I think it has a killer drum beat behind it, and the song itself, even though it's not a long song. I mean, I want to be clear. This song is what three and a half minutes long, but it has a really epic feel to it. And it almost gives me merciful fate vibes, which I thought was cool. Uh, obviously a contemporary of the, of, of Slayer at this point, it has like a, more of a deliberate feel, but at the same time is undoubtedly a thrash song. Um, it, it another high pitched scream on this one, but again, it reminds me of King Diamond. So not, not necessarily a bad thing. And I actually love how it picks up speed towards the end. I think the finish of the song is great and just a really good precursor to, to the raining blood track. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of leads right into it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, uh, I, I thought this was another pretty solid, uh, song, um, but you know, to know, uh, I, I think I kind of expected this to be the case, but, um, the song raining blood being that it was the most, the song I was most familiar with. I just, 
I I still really gravitate towards that opening riff that is it's just so it's so iconic and it's really catchy and I just um I don't know that I feel like the rest of the song kind of falls in line with the rest of the album but man that that riff is like really really memorable and I I feel like it's probably got to be one of the most memorable riffs in in metal um so um and I just I I just uh I remember really just liking this tune when I would come on Guitar Hero, albeit being frustrating as a gamer. Uh, but as a metalhead, I was like, "This is pretty cool to hear a song like this uh, in Guitar Hero." So um, that, that that's my song of the week. We'll we'll give it a, a, a listen, and then uh, we'll we'll hear your thoughts, and we'll uh, wrap up our our chat. Uh, here it is: "Raining Blood" from Slayer's "Rain in Blood." It's interesting to me that they bookend this album with the two long tracks and then everything in the middle is like two minutes. It's it's just a fascinating construction to this album. Um, not surprised you picked the song, but I think the word you used is so apt and that is memorable. The riff on this song is just truly one of the most iconic riffs of all time and i think for that reason it provides a very memorable end to the entire album um when the skies finally open up at the end and they have that outro with the sound of the rain i think it is so cool and obviously you know it's you know we know what the sound is but at the same time it's supposed to be you know raining blood just a really memorable end to this album. And I think that if you're into this style, I can see why this album has gotten such acclaim from just about everyone. And and I mean that because like this album has basically on everybody's list of, of top albums for metal, right? Like it debuted at 127 on the billboard charts. It went down to about 94 at its best. But when you look at like, Kerrang! They said it's the heaviest metal album of all time. Number 27 on the top 100 metal albums of all time. Uh, the best metal album of the last 20 years by Metal Hammer back in 2006. Um, list of 50 heaviest albums of all time by Q Magazine. It's on there. Spin Magazine, 67 on the 100 greatest albums of the decade from of the 20 years from 1985 to 2005 and so on and so forth i mean the accolades for this thing are just off the charts and everybody everybody not named chris nietzsche gives this thing like a 10 out of 10 and i'm not going to give it a 10 because it's just not my thing but if you want to talk about impact and the um cultural phenomenon in many ways that this album would become 
I, I can certainly understand the the le- the legacy and the fact that from that standpoint, it, it really is a ten out of ten in many ways because this. I mean, this this was a genre moving album. This this helped move the entire genre forward, and, and in many ways, all of metal. Uh, yeah, I mean, very well said. Uh, I just to uh, put a cap on that last song raining blood i mean you know the word iconic came up i mean this was a a song that was used in a south park episode it was uh in uh it was i remember uh, recently playing grand theft auto vice city and this was one of the songs on the the metal slash rock station that had like an anthrax song and a slayer song and a megadeth song like you you got the the bottom three if you will were were included um so like this I think is uh this song at least is um recognized uh I think you know it, like even for me as somebody who was not familiar with the band I was very familiar with that song um and uh Angel of Death was used in a number of things as well I don't know if you ever watched the show The Leftovers that was on HBO but there was a very crazy scene in that show uh that had Angel of Death playing which at the time I didn't even know what the hell it was. Huh. And uh, now in retrospect, I'm like, wow, that actually makes sense considering the content of that scene. Um, and before we wrap up, I feel like we would be remiss in not at least mentioning some of the, the controversy of the song angel of death. Uh, it, supposedly it, um, it, it, it might've created a, like a, a delay or possibly even a, the album not being released due to the lyrical content of it. And for those that aren't aware, it's about the, um, the, the, uh, he was the, the constant, the Auschwitz uh, concentration camp doctor who uh, performed a lot of, you know, human experimentation and, um, his name was uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Mengele and um, very infamous person. And, and I think because, you know, the lyrics don't outright, uh, you know, damn this, this person, you know, and, you know, we all know how metal was received in the eighties as God forbid anything, you know, was like trying to mention anything, <laughs> whatever it automatically is put in a negative connotation. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that the song is praising. Um, and, and it's funny because they did, I believe there was an, an interview with, with Hanneman who wrote the song and he was just like, I, I didn't feel like we needed to point out that it, he was a negative person. Yeah. But doesn't it speak for itself? I, like, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I give that there, there, this band is a lightning rod of controversy and, and this song is obviously no different, but yeah, to your point, um, I, I, <laughs> Yes, they didn't formally denounce it in the lyrics, but in many ways, we don't want to forget history or else we're doomed to repeat it, right? Like, isn't that what the expression is? And so I think that even though they're bringing this to light, it doesn't mean that they're condoning it. So um, definitely the controversy is there, but uh, yeah, I, I am not mistaking them for for um, you know condoning what what you know what this guy did. And, and by the same token. You, you, you're talking about a band whose logo has a pentagram in it, right? Like, I mean, so there's a lot, there's a lot here where it's like, you know, edgy and racy and it's part of their gimmick, but I don't think that they are necessarily saying that this is, uh, 
you know, a great thing and that we should, we should, we should go back to, back to the 1940s, you know? No, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I just find it interesting, like the things that people choose to get upset about. Although I, I'm sure all the, the satanic imagery and stuff, they probably got caught hell for, no pun intended, but <laughs> for all that, for all that stuff as well. And, and, you know, metal, like use the word, the term lightning rod and metal was a, lightning rod for controversy i think back in the you know people act like like cancel culture is a new thing but there was plenty of that going on back in the the 80s and 90s when it came to violent video games and you know heavy metal and things like that so um i just thought it was worth mentioning because it was kind of a controversial thing and it did it did create issues with the um the release um so but, you know, it's like just because, you know, Sabaton sings about, you know, World War II doesn't mean that they want us to have World War II again. It just, it, it's, it's more of a, my understanding was that he was just really fascinated with the, the, the subject matter and decided to make a song about it. And this is something that happens all the time in music. So, uh, I, I just, I'm always very fascinated when things, you know, end up with, you know, all this controversy and and whatnot so um you know I, I don't know maybe i'm speaking out of turn but it doesn't really seem like um the band was you know trying to be neo-nazis or anything you know crazy like that yeah no i, I i'm glad i'm glad you could kind of put a bow on it with that i think that that's definitely worth mentioning i'm really curious to see where this compares with anthrax for you is it slightly better slightly worse or is it really coming coming in at that same score? Score of one to ten. What are you giving this thing? Yeah, it's actually I'm giving it the exact same score I gave Anthrax, and that's a a five. Um, it's I just thought it was for me just very average. I like I said, I didn't hate it. Uh, it was too it, it was too short to ever become grating or or, or overbearing. Um, and you know it's certainly better than some other things that we we've talked about but um it, this is just kind of right in the middle like i'm always going to be more of a fan of the the metallica and the megadeth type stuff that has more of a melody to it and even some of the later anthrax stuff that i've heard that just to me is way better than that this era where that the, even they start to uh embrace the melody a little bit and maybe slayer does too i have no idea maybe in the their later stuff, but just this era of thrash where it's just thrashiness. It's just not my favorite thing in the world. I definitely appreciate where, you know, it fits in the history of metal. And, and as far as like, if I was ranking this based on it's, you know, importance and how much it, it's influence uh, sp has spread amongst other bands um, you know, I would give it a 9.5 or a 10, but, um, just for my own personal opinion, it, it's, it's kind of just right in the middle for me. So five, it is for me. I think that's a completely understandable score. Um, I think that there are times where this album is easily a nine or a 9.5 for me. And then, like I said, I had experiences with this album where I would probably would have given it a two or a three because I almost couldn't listen to it for times. But overall, it's a 7.5 for me. I, I think this is a really, really good album. I think that um, some people will say it's an obvious 10. I, I, I know we have got listeners of the show that think that. But at the same time, um, as much as I appreciate it, 
I think it is a bit jarring because it doesn't fit the normal mold of stuff that you kind of hear. And even the thrash bands that I happen to enjoy just a little bit more, they may be, they may have crazy riffs, crazy solos, but they usually form, they usually have a bit of a structure to it. But again, I think the fact that it's not that long makes it a enjoyable listen and, and something that I often go back to. So, um, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for indulging me. I know that this was not, uh, the most accessible album for you, but I, I, I hope yeah, you got and something I, and out I'm, of it. I, I'm taking, you know, I'm fully aware that I'm going to get dragged for my, <laughs> for my ranking on this because I haven't heard the end of the, the anthrax rating after two and a half years. So, uh, it, it's this, we can add this to the pile of wrong opinions I have, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I, as we always say, we're, uh, we're, we're never going to be, uh, dishonest, uh, in our opinion. And, uh, that's what it is. I'll say this. I thought it was going to rank lower the first time I listened to it. It it did it did make its way up a little bit higher as I listened to it, but uh, then it just hit my my thrash ceiling, unfortunately. So, uh, looking forward to our whatever next thrash album we we talk about. Um, th- this was uh, again like just glad that uh, at least if nothing else, I. I you know, listen to something that I should be aware of. Well said, well said. And uh, speaking of thrash, we spoke obviously a lot about Megadeth earlier for, for obvious reasons. Uh, Kiko Lorero out, Timo Matsuyari in, the Finnish guitar player, is taking over for Kiko Lorero, who has decided that uh, for personal reasons, he's going on an extended absence and I believe leaving the band kind of shocking news out of the Megadeth camp. Kiko was with him for quite a while, uh, you know, obviously through COVID and everything else. Um, sad to see him go. I'm curious to see what he does with the rest of his career. I thought it was very wishy-washy as to whether he was leaving Megadeth. Like it, the way that they made it sound, like they made it sound like it was an extended leave of absence. And then other publications made it sound like he was out of the band. Like it, it doesn't sound like, I don't know, like his written statement sound was worded the, like somebody who was leaving a band, but yeah. using the words extended leave doesn't really sound like somebody who's not part of a band anymore. So I, to me, like I just didn't feel like it was very clear as to what the situation was. Um, but uh, time will tell, you know? Yeah. 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 Time will tell. I, I've already saw people like, clamoring for his return to Angra or whatever but uh you know based on Angra's last album they're doing fine without him I think they'll be okay um which is crazy <laughs> I just think he's such a great songwriter that that the band misses him a little bit but uh not not much to complain about with the new Angra um yeah so that's uh that's the news from the Megadeth camp moving over to uh Firewind they have announced a US tour with Edge of Paradise and Immortal Guardian they are hitting a bunch of smaller markets, really, starting April 12th in Manchester, New Hampshire, and then winding up in Houston, Texas on May the 6th uh, after doing a bunch of West Coast shows and uh, Middle America shows. Interesting that this show is not coming anywhere near me, but uh, kind of a cool tour package. I've never seen Firewind live, so I'm always curious to see you know, what they would be like. I, I mean, I have a feeling I've just never seen them. Yeah, I, I definitely have. Um, have they 
played Prog Power? Was that before I started? No, I don't think they have. I, or if they did, I just didn't see the set. But, um, you know, Gus G is one hell of a guitar player. And I'm just uh, kind of curious to hear them now because, believe it or not, I don't even know if you're aware of this. Their singer is Herbie Langens from uh, Beyond the Bridge and yeah, I did know 47 yeah. other bands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sinbreed. Yeah. And, uh, I think he's the new singer for Halloween these days. <laughs> he made, uh, I'm just, sure he'll be in uh, Amaranth before it's all said and done. So. Yeah, he's him. He's. I think he's just trying to match Fabio's uh, resume at this point. And uh, I, also, I don't know if you saw this. Another tour that got announced today was uh, Tear is going is uh, doing a headline uh, tour with Aether Realm and the is it the am I saying the Dreadcrest of Oddwood? Is that uh, did it, I say that correctly? It's me, but oh, I no, sorry. The dread, the dread crew of Odd ah, Oddworld. I uh, Oddwood. can't say that I'm familiar, but uh, fan of Ether Realm for sure. Uh, not as big of a tier fan, but I may have to go just uh, check out Ether Realm one more time. Yeah, it, it, I think um, it looks like Tier is playing. Um, there's a, a festival in Canada that just got uh, announced, and they are one of the, I believe, headlining bands. And I think Ether Realm happens to be on that bill as well um i'm just trying to pull it up really quick yeah hyperspace metal fest which uh is going to take place uh april 11th to 13th next year and it looks like um tier and flotsman jetsam will be uh headlining uh the aforementioned bands aether realm and the dread crew of uh oddwood uh borealis osiren um iron kingdom uh and uh skeletor i did not realize there was a band called skeletor so uh you uh he-man fans better get out there uh but uh pretty pretty cool lineup and then um we we didn't i think we talked off air about uh another festival that was announced uh in the u.s uh jog my memory i believe camelot was a part of it and um yeah, so you would, I think, brought this to my attention. Blind Guardian, I think, was playing this festival, but it was like one of the weirdest lineups I think I'd ever seen it. I think it was the new Milwaukee Metal Fest um, lineup, which, which for those that don't know, the Milwaukee Metal Fest was a festival that took place, God, it's got to be close to 20 years ago now, um, but they announced a new or I guess reinvented festival you know, in Milwaukee. And if you're looking at the 2024 lineup, you could do a lot worse than what they've announced so far. This this thing is really weird. The, the dates of the festival are May 16th to 19th. And the lineup is just so all over the place. Right now, one of the headliners is Mr. Bungle, which is interesting in and of itself. But you have Blind Guardian, In Flames, Hatebreed, Deicide, Catatonia, Possessed. Metal Church. I mean, they're all over the place with this thing, and more bands Camelot. to be announced. Yeah, it's just it's just all over the place. Marduk. Yeah. I mean, and then three, and then the three bands that are blurred out. So I guess uh, we'll mention them as they're announced. But uh, there just there seems to be more in the way of these kind of uh, festivals, especially in the in the in North America than we've seen in the past. So uh, that's always a good thing to see. And, yeah. uh, and, and one other festival that we've talked about, um, the, um, what is the, uh, the, uh, I'm blanking on, on the name of the other festival in, uh, Wisconsin. Oh, um, Mad with Power. Yes. Mad with Power also has a, uh, headliner yet to be announced that is supposed to be 
announced soon. The other uh, headliner is the uh, the UK's. Um, uh, why am I forgetting that? Uh, Fellowship. Oh, I forget. Yes, Fellowship. I'm sorry, Fellowship. So um, I'm curious to see who uh, ends up being the other headliner after um, having uh, unleashed the Archers um, and Seven Spires and and some other like bigger names um, play last year or, or earlier this year. Yeah, earlier this year. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, there seems to be uh, some some more options as far as festivals go in, in the U S when it comes to metal, which we've always said has been (laughs) very much lacking. If you take Prague power and the, and, and the 70,000 tons cruise, which I would argue isn't even really an American festival. It's a boat in international waters. (laughs) I mean, it's really, you know, so uh, it's just nice to see that there's more stuff out there. If no, for no other reason, then it gets some bands over here and then maybe they'll do some tours, you know, wrapped around it. You know, you throw a, you, you got like a band like master plan to play a festival like this. And maybe they decide to play a few shows in the U S while they're here. So, I mean, you know, that I'm not saying that that happened. I'm just saying as it'd be uh, nice if it did hypothetical, we very nice. Yes. I would welcome that greatly. I, uh, I agree with you completely there, but yeah, it's uh, more options is never a bad thing. Uh, and speaking of options next week, we, uh, are, are, I feel like this is a, a big announcement for us because just so, like I said, we've had so many requests for it. Um, but after what, three years, we're going to cover, um, a iconic nevermore album, that came out in October of 2000, and that is their Dead Heart in a Dead World album, um, their fourth studio release, which for many was probably their greatest work. I don't know that everyone would agree with that. I'm sure that there's opinions across the board, but this is widely regarded as one of, if not their best releases. So I know this album quite well. I, I look forward to hearing your opinions on it as somebody who you know, may have some knowledge of this band but i don't know that you've ever sat down and listened to an album straight through um yeah i mean i have it's just been a while and i don't know if i ever listened to this one start to finish so i'm also <laughs> curious uh, how i feel about it so i'm uh, looking forward to it if nothing else there's a simon and garfunkel cover so you know at, at the very least That'll be something I'm sure I'll enjoy. But um, yeah, looking forward to that. At two, we had two of our uh, Patreon members at request of this, so um, we will be uh, discussing it uh, next week. Looking forward to it. It's uh, it will be a good time, and I think you're in for some surprises as well. Uh, again, give us a like and a follow if you like what you hear. We definitely appreciate the support, and we will come back in December. Not only with Nevermore's Dead Heart in a Dead World, but uh, likely with our uh, top 50 list as well, which I am looking forward to. Mm, You'll probably get that in January. Uh, (laughs) Let's just just be real. Wishful thinking. Uh, Chris, enjoy your week, my friend. I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care, buddy.